You are listening to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Podcast from Petaluma, California. Here is this week's Adult Sunday School class. So we are the Awake Not Woke series. We're on the tail end of it. We're, we're, we're sort of in the, the, the end is in sight with this, uh, this mini-series that we've been doing. And uh, the part we've been talking about most recently is, what, what, what's the, the topic we've been covering last week or so? Justice. What's that? Uh, justice and reconciliation. Okay, good, good, yes. Uh, I had the same answer last week, too. Uh, but, but, you know, it is in the light of, of the abuse question, right? What do you do in light of concerns of abuse or, or sin? You know, how do you go about looking for justice or looking for reconciliation when you believe someone has sinned against you? And so we've been kind of delving into these different aspects, and we talked about some of the concerns when it comes to justice, uh, some of the woke approach, again, broadly speaking, you know, some of the, the concerns of how they try to remedy some of these things, uh, suffer from, from concerns of, of justice. And so then we have pivoted now into thinking, well, biblically, what does the Bible have to say about seeking justice and looking for uh, conflict resolution when you believe someone has sinned against you, and so we're we're on that part. And so uh, we introduced last time uh, the notion of when you believe someone sins against you, there's sort of uh, two big things you could consider doing. And the first one we said was retaliate. That was not it. Oh. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, that is absolutely a temptation to do that. But we're talking about things you ought to do. Uh, what was the dean? First one was overlook. Overlook, that's right. Love covers a multitude of sins, overlooking a matter. Can you turn the volume down just a little bit? Can you turn the volume down just a little bit? I'm a little loud. Is that a lot better? Better. All right. Um, so the second thing is Matthew 18. Follow the Matthew 18 approach. And we started to talk about that. Uh, but that's where we ran out of time. So let's go ahead and turn back in our Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Um, verses 15 through 20, and um, why don't you go ahead and read it there, Jeff, for us. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Good. Thank you. Um, I'll mention what I mentioned last week as well. I believe I mentioned a resource. Um, there's a book called The Peacemaker by um, Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E, Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. He's got actually a number of books that have the word peacemaker, but he's got one that's specifically peacemaker, sort of the first one. Uh, and it takes these concepts that we're talking about, especially Matthew 18, and really helps put a lot of meat on the bones. And really helpful, uh, and and more than we're going to be able to do in in as I'm sort of in this little mini series, be awake, not woke. Right, I'm just kind of devoting one one chapter in our lesson to this idea of biblical reconciliation. So there's going to be a uh, a bit of a shortness to the overall thinking on it. But but that book would be a good one to follow up and learn more and think more about it. It's a really good resource. Really recommend. If you don't have a copy, that's one to get and put on your shelf at home. Um, so, again, you're thinking, I've got a conflict with someone. More often than not, you probably should be overlooking it in love. Right? God has forgiven us of so much. And we shouldn't be, uh, you know, every little thing that someone does against us, having to confront them and make a big deal about it. But we've, we know our own struggle with sin. We know too often we say things that we shouldn't, you know. And, 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 and we want people to be gracious to us. And so, yeah, we should have a spirit of, of being uh, you know, quick to overlook in love. But there are times where there's a, such a, a significant uh, conflict, a significant way that the person is, has, has hurt you, and, and you know that it's important for you to work it out with them and apply uh, this principle. And so often we'll ask, you know, when you're, you know, someone comes for counsel, one of the first questions we might ask when they're explaining that they're looking for counsel about how to, how to resolve some conflict, you might ask, have you gone through, have you done Matthew 18? Have you done Matthew 18, might be the way you ask it. Have you done Matthew 18? The idea being, have you followed these process that's described or sort of these steps to pursue reconciliation? And this is especially in mind of personal private offenses. When, when I say private, meaning it's not necessarily something publicly known, and there is, we'll talk about it in a moment, a time for more public sins to be dealt in a more public way. But particularly when you know one person sins against another, and it's private in a sense, and it's not necessarily maybe a few people know about it, maybe some people know about it, but it's 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 largely a personal private offense. And so you notice here that the first step is not to go around broadcasting it to everyone. Look how so and so sinned against me, right? Uh, uh, instead, you love the person and you go to them and you try to work it out. That's phase one. As much as you're able, you personally go to them and try to work it out. And you'll notice that if a brother sins against you, you know, it might be temptation for you to sit and think, he's wrong to me. He should come to me. Right? But it's saying you go lovingly, try to reach out to them, try to work it out. Right? Now, one of the things I like about that Ken Sandy book I was mentioning to you a moment ago is it, it makes the point that this isn't like, like this like checklist that like you, you make one quick phone call and leave a message and he doesn't call you back in two days, so you jump to phase two, right? <laughs> uh, you might have to really pursue the brother who sinned against you. It might be before you feel you've really done step one, 
you might have to make multiple efforts to really try to reach that brother. Because it's not about checking off a list so you can move on to the step. It's about pursuing reconciliation in the spirit of Christ who has reconciled us to God through his own sacrifice. Right? We have this, we, we want to cultivate this godly desire for reconciliation. And so we want to make that sort of real earnest effort on this first part to, to, to make reconciliation. Diego. But I'm worried that Matthew 18, so refers to the relationship between brothers and Christ. Yes. So what we do in that case, uh, our family who doesn't know the Lord. Yeah. By the same thing, I don't think so. It's an excellent question. I'm going to touch on it a little bit later in this uh, in this uh, lesson today, but I'll begin to say right now is that Matthew 18 has envisioned a specific type of thing, which is a brother to a brother, a Christian brother to a Christian brother in conflict, right? And so there are circumstances like your conflict is with is with a non-Christian. <laughs> This won't be able to directly apply. And the reason being, as an example, is the final step is you bring it to the church, and if they won't hear the church, they're ultimately treated as a tax collector, as a sinner. Well, they're already a tax collector and a sinner to start, right? That, 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 that's not able to be followed in this. Now, the question is, are there principles that we can apply from Matthew 18 in a broader way, even when working with a non-Christian? And I think, yes, that would be, there are principles we could derive from. And you don't have the same exact uh, potential final stage of bringing it to the church, but uh, imagine it's in a, in a workplace. Uh, Jenny Hibbitz asked this question a few, few sessions ago, and I sort of hinted at this, but um, if it's a workplace, you know, you have a problem with a, with a coworker, you go to them and try to work it out, right? And, and if, you, if you can't, maybe you bring a, uh, uh, another friend along with you to try to work it out, you know? And ultimately, you have to bring it to HR or your manager, and, and that's sort of make that final equivalent step, and then let them make a decision, because it's within that authority structure, right? And so um, you can find analogies in various places that this might be helpful. And I think the principle of when you have personal conflict, not just jumping to shouting it everywhere how this person wronged you, but actually trying to follow steps to resolve it, and where there's an ability to bring in people who do have an ability to have some sort of authority over the, the two of you, right? Those are helpful things if you're able to, able to do that. And so I'll, I'll kind of touch a little bit more on that as we keep going, but I think that's sort of a general idea. Yes, Dean. I have a little motto, avoid avoidance, mm. because there is a tendency to run from conflict yeah. and to cut people off. That would be the other bad response. So Jesus said, if you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. So it's hard to conflict, but it's healthy to do so swiftly. Yeah. Like going back to last week, I think I mentioned this too, in the overlooking a matter, sometimes people have serious things that they really should be doing Matthew 18 on, and they say, I'm just going to overlook it in love. But they're actually not overlooking the love. They're, they're steaming on the inside and just sort of have this permanent uh, mark in their mind against that person and sort of like, like I 
I'll pretend I'm friends with them, but not really, you know, and, 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 and this sort of, you know, ongoing, unresolved grievance. And that's in the sign when I guess you need to do Matthew 18. And I think that's okay to revisit stuff, like, like I thought I could overlook it, and now I'm realizing I'm not. So this maybe is the time to, to pursue Matthew 18. So just to make sure we understand the high level here. So you bring first, you try it yourself. If that doesn't work, you then bring one or two witnesses and try to again. And those witnesses, ideally, ideally you haven't brought those witnesses and said, okay, let me sit down and tell you all the whole story so you come in there completely at my side and we can gang up on that person. That's probably not the ideal way of going about it. It's probably better to say, hey, would you be able to come along one or two people and me and my brother are trying to work something out and it'd be really helpful if you could be there. And those witnesses will sometimes become a little bit of a mediator for you guys, right? Help you to sort of hear each other. And if that can happen, which is helpful if you've got some more mature Christians that you're able to bring into that. And so you hope that that resolves, uh, re results in reconciliation. But again, it's not just a one-time thing. It may be that that takes several times where you're sitting down together with those witnesses to really try to work through it before you realize we're not getting anywhere. And that's maybe where you have to you have to go to that 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 third uh, stage, and uh, it could potentially become now a case of formal church discipline, where ultimately it's brought before the elders and, and brought as a, a a charge against the other. And the elders may have to act judicially and even bring censure. Um, but of course, the point there, realize along the way, you could bring that matter to the elders and make your case and say, help me bring justice. And they might decide, actually, you're in wrong. Right? So I think that's an important thing to say when your brother sins against you is from your perspective. Right? And so you're not judge. Right? So in a conflict, You've got your perspective, they've got your perspective, and your perspective might be right, but it might not be right. Or there may be some ways in which both of you have some right things and some wrong things. And that's why as, as you can't work through on your own, you bring in more and more folks, it gives some bigger perspective as needed, if it needs to get there. And ultimately, if the, if the church through its elders say, you know, this is the determination, and there's this censure even, if they won't hear it and reject even what the elders are saying, the church saying through the elders, then um, then ultimately it may be a result of excommunication. Back up a little bit. So let's say it gets to that formal that formal time, and the and the the elders do say, yeah, this brother has created you know done this this grievous sin, and let's say the censure is going to be is going to be church suspension. They're not to come to the table, we're going to call them to repent. One of the things you'll notice that we do at that time is we ask, we announce that sort of serious thing to the church, and we ask the church to also be speaking to that brother, telling them they need to repent. The model of this comes even from the Old Testament. If you see, like in the case of when they stoned people, it would be the elders who would determine that this person is worthy of, of, of has committed a capital offense, and, and the punishment is is stony, but it would be the whole assembly that was then to pick up the stones and stone. Thankfully, the great mercy of God in the new covenant doesn't give us stones to enforce, uh, but he gives us the church to speak, to call such an erring brother, such a wayward brother to repentance and be restored. 
But if they all to and will not hear that discipline of the church in that official capacity, that's when excommunication is appropriate. And you remove them from membership of the church. And so it says, treat them as a tax collector and as a sinner. That's to say, you've been living like a non-Christian. You've been claiming to be a Christian, but your actions in this matter are, are, are not consistent with the Christian faith. And you've even heard the church calling you to repent, but you've rejected that. And so we're going to remove your membership from the church and treat you as a tax collector, and as a sinner, as someone who's outside the church. And I love how I always like to point out, it says you treat them like that. They actually might not be that. They actually might really be a Christian who's saved, who is just really struggling, really wayward. And this might be what God uses to waken them up. Um, but if they're acting like it, like a non-Christian, we treat them like that for the purpose and prayer and hope. Uh, that they will uh, return and repent and, and, and grow through the process. So, again, to Diego's question, that can only work through the whole process when you're dealing with a with a Christian, you know, someone in the church. You can't do that whole extensive process with someone outside the church. But if there are ways to follow some of that along the way, some of the spirit of that. Um, uh, that, that, that can be very helpful. Uh, I'm going to comment further on Matthew 18, but just pause for any questions on what I've just got done talking about. I want to make sure it's, it's clear. So something I think is helpful, I saw an interesting discussion from uh, online from uh, Alan Strange. Uh, if you don't know who Alan Strange is, uh, he's uh, actually going to be, uh, he spoke yesterday in our, in our men's conference out in Berkeley. I wasn't able to be there, but uh, He's a pastor in our denomination, involved a lot on the denominational level with uh, teaching about our Book of Church order. And I saw him talking a little bit about our, our, our Book of Church order as it comes to handling judicial matters, kind of like that final Matthew 18 stage where things have to become formal discipline. And there's a, there's a line in there uh, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our Book of Discipline that says, if a personal private offense happens, you need to make sure before you proceed with, with formal judicial process that Matthew 18 has been followed. Uh, but an interesting little caveat, uh, Alan Strange's uh, article said something to the effect of um, um, we have to appreciate that Matthew 18 is talking about a brother to a brother, meaning where there's a peer relationship. And that maybe more prudence is needed if which I think is addressing some of those woke concerns of uh, people in authority sitting against people under authority, uh, that uh, uh, if it's a non-peer situation, the, the, the dynamic adds an extra nuance to this that may need to be brought into account. So let's just sort of, what might that look like? Let's say a pastor had a conflict with, with a, a young woman in the church. Probably doesn't make a lot of sense have that young woman expected to go and privately confront the pastor. Probably she needs to bring along someone as an advocate with her from, from the get-go because of the dynamics of that. It's probably prudent, probably prudent for the pastor's sake. And, and if it needs to go the other way, right? If I, as a pastor, have some way where I think this, this woman needs to, uh, I need to share some concern with her, I, I'm, I'm generally not going to go and privately have a one-on-one -on -one conversation or hey, let me bring another elder with or, or maybe my wife or or someone who I think would be appropriate to, to kind of have that conversation. So so 
Alan Strange's comment basically is, is, has some prudence and common sense mixed into it, acknowledging that Matthew 18, sort of its, its, its examples is in the case of a peer to a peer, and sometimes it is uh, a case of an inferior to a superior, as a clock authority structure, and that adds a unique aspect to it, and, and should be, you know, use some wisdom on how to actually uh, you know, go forward to it. But I still would say principles in Matthew 18 can be, should still be uh, honored, which is that you try to work it out without, without expanding the scope of who's all aware of this in a premature way, as a way to love the person that you have grievance against. That make sense? Turn to uh, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. What was the reference to Proverbs? Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Zoe, why don't you read that for us? This is a sort of a typical thing you can find in different places in the Bible. There's there's time and place to help speak for those who who, who need someone to speak up for them. And so you might be in that situation where um, someone in that power dynamic is asking you to be sort of their their counsel, their their advocate, come along with them as I talk to the pastor or talk to the elders. And and if you have that opportunity with wisdom and discretion, see it as a great opportunity to, to be there to support support someone. Um, and, and, and that's a that's a godly thing. Uh, let's turn over now to 1 Peter 2. So again, we're kind of talking uh, biblical reconciliation, and we've sort of begun to put some pieces in place in a more ideal circumstance, especially in the context of Christians working things out with Christians, and and yet, as Diego pointed out in some of the conversations that we've had in the past, it's not always that situation. Sometimes it's a conflict at work, sometimes it's a conflict elsewhere, and, and as some of the woke concerns that have been brought out, sometimes there is that power dynamic where someone in charge uh, is 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 the, the concern is that they are treating improperly or even sinning against the person under their charge, and so we're not always in ideal circumstances. What can we as Christians glean from this? And we want to be careful when we read any one particular verse to take it and, and use it with wisdom. But I think a verse like this has to begin to speak something to us. First uh, Peter two uh, eighteen through twenty one. Uh, Dean, would you read that for us? Or did I catch you off guard? Marlon, would you read that for us? First Peter 2, 18 through 21. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is, is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So again, there's a way you could maybe misunderstand what we're talking about here. 
Um, we're not saying if like your, your boss at work is committing some crime against you, you just grin and bear it, you know? That's not what we're saying, right? Um, if, if, it's a, if it's a crime, then call the police and report it, right? I mean, like, like uh, that should be, uh, again, different contexts to require different actions. And anytime, church, workplace, whatever, if there's some, some crime being committed, uh, that's, that's the job of the civil magistrates. You pick up the phone, you call 911 if it's an emergency, or you call the police office if it's not an imminent life-threatening emergency, and you report that crime, right? Um, but there are many other dynamics where you could find yourself, and this is, of course, a, a, a master-servant relationship, which we don't have an identical analogy in our society here today, but certainly an employment context could have some similarity to it, where you could have an employer who's treating you in ways that you would not like them to treat you, right? And um, uh, here it speaks of how we can we can share in the sufferings of Christ even when we are enduring a different uh, persecutions in this world. Now again, that idea that I'm saying, let me tell you another verse. 1 Corinthians 7.21, Paul asks, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So reading that here with 1 Peter, right? There's circumstances where maybe your boss is sitting against you and it gives you an opportunity to overlook it in love. But there can also be times where these aren't things that you can overlook in love, and if you have a way and a mechanism to try to bring out that concern, even following some, some principles from Matthew 18, then yeah, uh, try to work it out with them. But at the end of the day, maybe sometimes the decision is, I need to find a new job. If you can gain your freedom, go for it. Right? Sometimes that's what you have to ultimately uh, decide. Again, if it's a crime, you call the police, right? Uh, but oftentimes we're not talking about crimes. We're talking about how my boss really yells at me why, right? And so, uh, in various spectrum of issues that you might uh, find in. So, here are some principles that we have to think about. There are a time and place that, that you can endure suffering for Christ's sake, uh, but there's times and places for you to try to work things out, and there's times and places where you just have to, you have to leave. And, and here's one more I think that really helps us in this, is turn over to um, Romans 12. Romans 12, 16 through 21. Sarah Miller, can you read that for us, Romans 12, 16 through 21, nice and loud? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Good. So there's a lot of great principles in here that have an application to Diego's question earlier beyond simply dealing with non-Christians, right? I'm sorry, beyond simply dealing with Christians. Uh, you know, if, if you're trying to be reconciled with a non-Christian and you have struggled doing with it, uh, you can still do number eight, verse 18. Everyone look at verse 18 again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So you can't ultimately control others. But God does tell us, control what we can control, right? And and if if at the end of the day, whether it be in a church context or outside the church context, you do all that you would ought to be, to do on your end, and it still doesn't have the outcome you hope, which is real peace and reconciliation. Going forward, you can still say, as for my part, I am going to look to live uh, peaceably uh, with that other person. Now, that what does that look like will depend on the circumstances. Again, there could be some grave situations where, where that means, uh, hey, I'm always going to have an open door that when you're willing to actually sit down and, and, and talk through this, I'm, I'm here, right? I'm here. Um, but we can imagine a scenario where neither side has a heart of peace, has a desire for peace, and, and so peace obviously is never going to come in that situation. The other important principle that comes out of this is in the next uh, verse, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, what is, what's the point there uh, to take away from that, verse 19? What can you drive from that in this conversation here? Verse 19, love and never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Who's the judge? God. <coughs> Again, this is that humility. You have a conflict with someone, the temptation is to put yourself as both the plaintiff and the judge. But think of how judicial cases go, right? You've got a plaintiff and a defendant and someone else who's a judge, right? But sometimes we want to be, no, I'm the plaintiff and the judge, jury, and executioner. I've accused you. you I, I don't, I'm not giving you any due process. I'm just now going to inflict the kind of punishments I believe I have ability to inflict upon you, and I will, uh, you know, uh, that, that's what I'm going to do. And this is saying, uh, that's why I like how Tom, Tom's comment was, right? Like, like that's the temptation. That's what we want to do. Get revenge. Retaliate. And this is explicitly saying, if we do that, we put ourselves now as judge. Now, as soon as I say that, you guys rightly pointed out God is the judge. There are other judges under that judge, aren't there? The Bible has various institutions uh, that we see, like civil government, like church government, right? In the home, the parents, right? There's husband and wife, husband's supposed to be the head of the wife kind of stuff, which we'll talk more about what that means in a sermon here soon in Genesis. But um, there are authority structures in society, and we expect those authority structures to do what they're supposed to do. So like I said, if a crime is committed, you call the civil authorities 
to deal with that. And if you try to deal with it on your own, what do they call you? Spider-Man. <laughs> they call you vigilante, right? But vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord, is speaking against vigilantes, right? And instead, proper authority is supposed to do what they're supposed to do. And the woke concerns is those authorities have been abusing their power. Well, the solution is not to get rid of the authority structures, but to wherever there are sinful people in authority positions, they need to be dealt with. And in most scenarios, maybe stone. Well, there you go. Uh, in most scenarios, authority structures uh, nowadays have multiple layers of accountability and ability to redress when one particular authority is is abusing their authority is is perverting their authority um for example in a church setting the government of this church in its most immediate uh, uh scope is the church elder board the session made up of elders and the pastor if you file a grievance if you try to work through something with the elders and and you don't ultimately get what you believe is to be just, you have the ability to appeal that to Presbyterian, the regional governing board. And if you don't get it, you can ultimately appeal it to the General Assembly. So there is an accountability structure built into it. And, and so many of these things can be dealt with properly through the authority structures and accountability that has been put in place. And you can't ultimately at the end of the day, sometimes some people in power get away with their crimes. But guess what? There is still the highest authority. God is there, and that's here. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Dean. Very dramatic illustration of your principle. I watched a video of a Christian woman by the name of Parker. She was a former employee of the FBI. Mm -hmm. And she was testifying in front of a congressional committee. She was a whistleblower talking about the abuses that were going on in the FBI. And she said she, she, she tried, she worked with them, and then she did what you said, she quit. And she got a letter from Jim Jordan's committee, please come and testify. And she said, I don't want to do that. But she prayed. And the Lord said to her, and she, when she said this, she broke down in tears. She said, to whom much is given, much is required. And she went and she testified in tears and seeking to bring that accountability. So it's, it's complex out there, but yeah. the Lord will guide us to the yeah. right I think I, I, I think I heard some of her testimony, actually. It was recent, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard some of that. Very interesting. Uh, and that, that's a good example, right? There's, there is... We, I said it last week and week before, we are all fallen humans, so our judicial system and our mechanisms aren't going to be perfect, right? But because they're not perfect, doesn't mean that it's wise to throw them out. We want to work what we can to improve them. And we want to use biblical wisdom to think about how to work on improving them. And recognizing at the end of the day, there are some things we won't be able to solve because of human sinfulness 
but that the solution held out to us is, is uh, the coming of the age to come when Christ returns and brings in that final day of judgment. That's our ultimate hope that all these things will ultimately be taken care of by then. Marlon? Well, maybe just to underline what you were saying, I think it's an enormous comfort to know that, that God is the ultimate judge. Because when you see things either you know, in society or, or your neighbors or to yourself that, that, are, that are not just, you think, I can't let them get away with that. You know, they're, they're getting away with that. And there's this sense in which you feel like you must correct this problem. But if you know that they won't get away with it, ultimately, um, it's, uh, it's, it's actually free um, to, to turn over vengeance to the Lord, as opposed to pursuing it yourself. I want to run with your thought here, turn over to Exodus 2. <coughs> Starting at verse 23, Exodus 2. Sarah, of uh, this, would you read Exodus 2, 23 and 24? During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. One more. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. There will be a few uh, places in Genesis where I will have to pause. Uh, and that's maybe one of them in Exodus here, just to hold it together because uh, some amazing uh, things that we see of God's mercy in the midst of, 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 of some really trying times. But, but um, Israel came into Egypt, honored guests, and even Joseph in power and authority, and over the course of time, things changed dramatically, and they were servants, slaves, maltreated, and 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 there there was not a a resolution, right? I, I don't know all the details of how much they tried to tried to remedy it, but there was no remedy. There was no working through the system to get remedy. This is they were they had become enslaved, and. Um, Moses taking that man's life was not the solution, but Israel crying out to God, and God heard, and God raised up Moses, sinner that he was, to be used as a servant of the Lord to redeem a people out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The point being dovetails with what we just got done talking about. Sometimes at the end of the day, prayer is about all you got left. And it may be generations of prayer uh, before that relief comes. But isn't that about faith as well, right? And so uh, here we have a reminder uh, that there are things that are beyond our ability to solve, but let's keep coming to the Lord because it's not, 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 not too hard for him, uh, Dean. It leads me to my question. Mm. I'd like to hear your views on Matthew 18. Two... two Verses. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. That's New American Standard. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. I'd like to hear your thought on that. And then the next little sentence about if two or three agree as touching anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
is that related to church discipline, or is that just a new thought out of left field? The good news is, since I only have four minutes, <laughs> I'll be able to answer you <laughs> and, and not have time for real follow-up in-depth uh, in the moment. But, uh, but uh, I do think that we read it all together. And as you, you all heard, you've all heard the two or three of you gathered together in my name, um, applied out of context to any prayer meeting someone goes to or worship service someone goes to and 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 of course I always get a little a little because uh, I think that they're taking it out of context you know what I think if I go into my room and pray to God I believe God is with me even just me one person right mm -hmm. and so I don't think that's what this is getting at I absolutely think uh, that this is in context to the Matthew 18 process that culminates in a formal church discipline where the church through its leaders speak and uh, you know um, two or three are gathered in my name you know that's the same number of witnesses uh, that you need to have to establish a fact mm -hmm. and uh, and then on verse 18 this binding on earth bound in heaven it's it's always fresh in your mind how sometimes the Roman Catholics sort of have a have a, a more radical, perverse way that they sort of handle that. Uh, but I do think it's something of the sort of the the insofar as it is in truth and biblical and 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 and, and a righteous judgment uh, that this is a way of of God saying I am um, working through the church courts. I am working through the church in its judicial capacity to level a censure so that when, if, if, if and it, it's sad that it happens from time to time, if the church has to say, we are excommunicating you, we say we're excommunicating you in the name of Jesus Christ, that this is something spoken on behalf of Christ himself. And, and that's a sobering thing, but frankly, it doesn't mean a whole lot if I say, I read Hankins am excommunicating you from the Church of Christ. But if Christ is excommunicating you from his church, that's a big deal. Yes. I think that's essentially what this is getting at here, is that the church, insofar that it's, that it's in accordance with truth and righteousness, executing that judgment, it comes with the authority of the name of God. I think that's, um, gives me, gives me, uh, 30 seconds to respond if there's a follow-up on that. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, I have 30 seconds if you have a follow-up question. No, I'm digesting your, your excellent comments. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Any other, uh, so we're, 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 we're out of time, and uh, we're, I got what I wanted us to get across today. I know that we didn't cover every little nuance of uh, biblical reconciliation and justice, but I think you got, got a good framework in general that again, like a book like that, Ken Sandy can really help put some more meat and bones, asking questions afterward. Uh, next time, one little short session. Uh, well, I say short session, you know, I know how these things turn out. It could end up being one or two sessions, but we're on the sort of the final, the final chapter. I'm going to talk about matters of self, and then sort of like a, a, a category of a few different miscellaneous topics I wanted to cover. I'm going to stick it under, under matters of self and then sort of a concluding section, whether we do that all next week or over one or two weeks, 
we're on that tail end of our, of our little mini series here. So let me close with some prayer. Great God, thank you for your love for us. And we do take great comfort and peace knowing that you are the judge of all the earth and that you see all things that you know. And you have even covenanted with us, your people, in Christ Jesus, or whatever sufferings we go through in this life, Lord, we know we will be vindicated, not because of us, but because of your great mercy and love that you've shown us. And so we're honored, Lord, to be your people. And we pray, Lord, that we would have wisdom as we interact with a world that's in opposition to you. Lord, give us a blessing as we take a break now and prepare for worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.